everyone. Welcome to episode nine of season five of Performing the Odds. My name, as always, is Brennan Davis. Joining me today is a filmmaker, a rising independent filmmaker, Brad Elmore. Uh, he's best known for directing the vampire movie Bit. He's also done two projects, uh, one called, I believe, Wolfman, uh, Wolfman's Hammer. I may be wrong or something to that effect. And, no, you got it. Oh, thank you. And another film that has yet to be released called Boogeyman Pop, though I'm pretty sure you could probably explain why it has yet to be released, because the only thing I found about it was, that, oh, it was released, but it was released for a film festival. But aside from that, there has been no like official release for it, aside from, you know, uh, a trailer for it. But, uh, uh, but yeah, Brad, how did you get into film? Uh, you know, I don't know. I just always liked movies. Um, very, very young age, I could always just sit and watch them and very quickly became um, enamored and obsessed with them. And somewhere around, I'd say, 13, 14 years old, I decided that's uh, that's I want I want to do that. I want to make I want to make movies. Seem to be the thing I like to do most with my time is watch movies or listen to albums or read comics. And I picked that one of the three because I uh, figured it combined a lot of a lot of interests all into one. A lot of fetishes all into one. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I I think in a way if you're very inspired by comic books or yeah comic books graphic novels in general filmmaking seems like a great way to to dive in that because films are generally a great medium to showcase something like a comic book but there there is a way to have a comic book feel for filmmaking and there are directors in the past who have done comic book general I don't want to say like comic book general uh filmmaking where it's like they have like the the pat the color patterns something like stuff like that too but they definitely do have they definitely do have inspirations from comic books and yeah, it, it's nothing really to front upon, but it's a great, a great source to do that because I know that whenever I try and do my best to write, you know, a film script or whatnot, or even a film story, like I, I tend to pull a lot from like what you just said is that I grew up watching a lot of movies as a kid, you know, um, mostly like Robocop, Total Recall, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, you know, a lot of like action movies. So I tend to pull a lot from the stuff I learned from those movies. So yeah, it definitely feels like when you are in the process of making a movie, like where do you go as a director? Because it's, you know, it, if you want to do a rom-com, like what kind of rom-com do I want to pull from? But yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. 
I, I tend to think that a, a lot of the directors I like pull from a broad, broader source of influence, which includes, could include uh, comic books and, uh, and, not, and not just, not just film, I mean, you know, life, m- music, and, you know, it's a, it's a digestive process. Yeah. Uh, no. I, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I I don't really. I think a lot's made out of the idea that comic books are can be cinematic and vice versa, and I have actually sort of rejected a lot of that. Um, I, I I like mediums being examples of the sort of maxima of their form doing things that only they are they are capable of yeah um, there's there's obviously uh, you know the parallels and things that are going to be similar from literature to comics like to film um, but I, I I sort of resist the idea that the uh, that they're that they, they should be too similar um, yeah and, and uh, I actually think that the more comic books try to approach filmmaking and, and more conventional cinematic devices the less they become what comics can be and uh, same thing with uh, film yeah because in its fairness, comic books and film are telling a story. It's just that sometimes, and this could be again, they just have of, a totally different relation to time yeah. and a control of control of time. And yeah. a film is movies are much more about uh, you know you got people there and yeah. and light and light's very important and. and certain things but in a comic book there's no there's no real element there's there's uh, even every innocuous detail in a comic book is not the detail it is an icon of the detail it is a uh, interpretation of the detail a desk is not a desk it is an interpretation of a desk there's uh and everything from the page layout to the format to everything it's just they are I'm more interested in where they're separate than where they are the same. Yeah. And uh, though I am heavily influenced by them and I'm a big giant fan of comics, but I'm probably a bit bigger fan of comics than I am movies, frankly. And same with rock and roll and music. But um, I, I, I think that the, the, what I get from them, the nutrients I get from there is more digestive than it is about some, uh, aping, aping their form or tropes. Yeah. Uh, and I do see that influence of music, especially with rock music, uh, in your work, especially with what I've seen with werewolves, with uh, Wolfman's Hammer, and bit and book uh, and Boogeyman Pop. It definitely feels like there is a element of rock, like I don't want to say like seventies rock, but that essence of seventies rock where it was just about freedom of expression and and just being yourself and just being and if, if you just want to be a ballsy badass self you could be a bald you know a 
ballsy badass self but uh yeah i i see i see what you're what you're kind of saying i just approach every i mean i get most of my ideas by just listening to music but but also i approach everything like it's an album and i think that's the correlation is uh there's a comic book artist named paul pope who calls comic books design containers Mm. and i think that's i think that's true of of art in general and the art I like the most is when things seem to point inward of themselves and be expressions of themselves and use the language of themselves they develop for the thing they're doing and so each little each thing I've made I've approached more more like an album like Hmm. than than anything you know like in a way like almost like a concept album without being a concept album per se yeah absolutely like you have the elements of a concept album and your story, i.e. the script, essentially tells that uh, narrative of what a concept album would be or something to that effect. So it, it is actually a great ex- uh, approach to actually... Uh, you, you, get, you get the band together and you, you, you show them the song you wrote, uh, the, the, the demo, and then you, you sort of, they find their parts and their space within the sandbox to, to build that out with you. And then, uh, and you, you hope, you hope for the, you hope for the best on the, on the outcome, but yeah, it's, it's the number one dominating influence on, on what I do. And hmm. each thing I do is sort of speaking to not wholly and completely, but sort of speaks to a different or a genre or vibe of music. I mean, it's no secret that Wolf Man's Hammer is very heavy metal. Um, yeah, very heavy metal. It, um, though, though I'm not a big metal guy, uh, I did like it a lot when I was a kid and a teen. And this was, I just found a vibe and I wanted to explore that world and that feeling and what that, what that world felt like. And then Boogeyman Pop is sort of just taking what I felt like are the elements of what what is the, the 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 difference between arena rock and punk rock and what are the similarities like which oh. is really which is really strange but it's like where those two things sort of meet uh like i mean, I mean that's not the thesis of the damn thing I, I resist the idea that any of them have theses uh and then bit is was something totally different i wanted something a bit like a pop song like more glitzy yeah. More, more, um, more uh, Riot Girl sort of music that I like, yeah. you know. And when we do talk about bit, I do want to talk about the music too because uh, it it definitely feels like its own character too. So, and speaking of Wolfman's, uh, uh, speaking of Hammer before, on the description of the YouTube video of you, that you have, it does say like it. This feels like a along the lines of a downtrodden Shakespearean uh, character piece. When you were making yeah. the film, when you were making the film, did you have that like idea in mind? Because I mean, when because you just said that you were kind of like thinking about all the music you're thinking uh, that you will listen to when you were like a teenager and stuff like that too. So when you were making the script for Hammer, did you imagine? To yourself, okay. When I am, when this movie does play out, will it be like a 
a downtrodden, you know, gritty Shakespearean type of character tale where it does focus on a troubled character whose main character is a drug dealer who deals with meth, but he's also a person who has a lot of rage in him. Because, you know, something to that effect, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely was aware of Shakespeare uh, as an influence. Uh, I think my entire approach to that script was, I think the, from just the writing perspective, I, you know, it was, it was a little bit Tennessee Williams and a yeah. little bit Shakespeare, but I really wanted to mute, you know, it, the Shakespeare element is the, all the characters sort of sowing the seeds of their own destruction without them knowing it. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't want it to feel like that. I wanted it to feel like you're just hanging out with a bunch of people and you don't know you're getting plot elements at all. Um, until they start to add up and congeal at the end. But uh, each, 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 each actor in the movie, you know, cause it was a bunch of people who had never been in front of a camera before, but each actor in, in the movie I did give of the main characters, I did give a different book to, uh, to, to sort of study. Um, I gave the main character Othello, you know, I felt that was a good, a good uh, sort of uh, approach. Uh, I gave uh, King Lear to the protagonist because that is a, a character whose kingdom is collapsing around him, and yeah. the, and he's losing losing his mind. And the people closest to him are the ones that are actually um, betraying him. And uh, and then I gave um, Romeo and Juliet to. Dave and the the actor who played Dave and the actress who played um, uh, Jessica, um, but that was all just that's all just background dressing because uh, yeah. obviously you can't you know I I don't know what any of them got out of it, it was just any little any little piece of thing a little handle to give to grab onto to to motivate motivate them to to feel invested in their character in some way is, is a good thing. Um, you know, whether, whether it really helped or not, I don't know. But the, the approach to the writing was just, how do I do Tennessee Williams, but also kind of structure it like a, and give it the feel and vibe of like my favorite Metallica epics or songs. Yeah. I mean, even, even the title of the album or the title of the movie which makes it sound like it's going to be a genre film, but it's not. Yeah. But the, the title of the movie feels like the, it, it's meant to evoke like what a heavy metal record is called. Like, yeah. Which um, is actually, which is funny because when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to probably be watching a movie about, about maybe hopefully about Wolfman or something to that effect. And, and he just, and he's probably like a, uh, like someone who just walks around uh, using his strength as his hammer to like crack down on like vengeance or something like that. But when I was watching, I was like, wow, this is way different than I, than I thought it would be. And, and speaking of conceptualizing things and giving the actors sort of like the, the blueprint to what you want, you know, uh, to, to their characters, 
when you're on set and you're working with the script, and this all and this goes to all three movies, and more, I should say, uh, in the in, you know in your future films, how much of the script do you give your actors to have leeway? Because you know when I'm looking at a script and I said, well, you know. The words are right here, but if you don't comfortable, if you're not comfortable saying these words, just say it in your own way because that's like literally a trick I learned in theater, where it's like, well, well, not trick, but like one of the games I would do in theater, which is essentially uh, uh, instead of saying it line by line, say it in a way that would be your own interpretation. So, yeah, w when it comes to working on on the sets and production stuff, especially once you have your cast already lined up, how much is like, is it strictly written for, you know, is it strictly, is it strictly written as it's uh, written or do you give your cast some leeway and just say, hey, this is what I'm thinking, you know, if you feel like this is not what you, uh, your character would say, you know, if you feel like this is not what your character, I mean, if you feel like this is what your character would say, just go and say that. Uh, I give I give the actors a lot of leeway to, to uh, again, you got to understand the, the first two things I made had a, especially the first thing that we're talking about, essentially uh, not, not disciplined actors. They're just, yeah, you know, people um, but uh, uh, I, I, I give a lot of leeway in the I feel like it would be silly to stick hard to the script and the things I think you're fighting an uphill battle you got to let the actor make it their own to some degree um, I don't typically do a lot of improv uh, usually due to time um, but in so much as making it their own voice or dropping a word or cutting a line to make it fit more into what would becomes more comfortable or uh, they, I, I give them a ton of leeway uh, as much as I, as much as I can. Um, with, with few exceptions, there are some times where you just need, need something to land in such a specific way. Yeah. You always want to resist giving actors a line read. Uh, if you can avoid it, but every once in a while, it's it's nothing to do with them and everything to do with I just need specifically this. But for the most part, a lot of a lot of leeway hmm. to, to uh, make it their own voice. I I, I want to be very clear though, not a lot of leeway in in changing. Like again, I, I in in Wolfman's Hammer, which which I take great pride in everything feeling very naturalistic in that. There's only there's only two lines in that whole movie that aren't scripted. Hmm. You know. Uh, it feels like people hanging out, but that script is exactly that movie, with the exception of two that off the top of my head that aren't, you know. But within that, there's a lot of lines that are, you know, you drop some ands and buts, or or uh, something that was three sentences becomes one sentence, you know. Yeah, that does, and I think also it does make more of a of a flow of flow of action because sometimes you know you have a script it's it could be like maybe 120 pages you're trying to cut it into like maybe uh a like maybe a 90 minute an hour and 45 minute 
movie, so you have to at least cut out like, yeah, you know, you have to cut out some of the fat. So trying to cut down, and this is something I constantly do is essentially I would write a lot of stuff and then constantly go back and say, okay, maybe I got to cut down this because this doesn't feel, you know, this feels wordy. So at least cut this part down. So yeah. And since, you know, these projects happen to be projects that you wrote and produced and directed, does it feel like as the screenwriter, you have to do more work or you just like, okay, just, you know, all, you know, or is it just like what you just said before, a lot of it is still scripted, but there is still some leeway with these, with some of the uh, scripts. Not in the terms of oh improvisation, yeah, you could cut, cut, you know, cut this part down. I think being being the writer means that I uh, understand what it is I am trying to do, and most of the changes that come from the script come from budget and lack of time. Yeah, um, they're 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 uh, you're constantly, uh, you know, with with the size of the films I've made, especially on the first two. There's there's what you want, what you can get, and this, and you try to push to what you want, the what you can get to what you want as far as far as you can, while having an eye toward the oh, whatever changes might happen because of yeah. because of mitigating circumstances. You, you you keep an eye toward the macro and how that affects the piece as a whole when you do make changes. Um, so, but, uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of. Your next uh, one, the uh, one of the other films you just made, which was Boogeyman Pop. Uh, as much as I can get information about that, outside of what is on like IMDb or Wikipedia, uh, what could you? And since you can probably describe, and you can probably say like why it has yet to be released. Uh, um. There's stuff I can and can't talk about. Um, I'll just I'll just break it down uh, as best as I can. Um, the short of it is, is it's a movie that uh, was. I wrote the script. I had gone through development on another script with with a couple major players. After I made Wolfman's Hammer, and it just it went two years and just fell apart. Hmm. And the whole time I was doing that script um, for something called, it was called Snap. It was a drama. Hmm. Um, the, the, cause I never wanted to be a genre filmmaker, but that whole, that whole time, um, everybody was like, Hey, you got a genre script. Hey, you got a genre script. So once that kind of fell apart, I was, I was really bummed. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll write something that's, that's genre, but uh, my way. And uh, maybe maybe approach it in a way that I haven't seen before. Um, I did that, and then went through, started to go through development again. And I just got so bummed out, and I thought, well, I just made Wolfman's Hammer. I just went and made the movie. Why can't I do that again? Maybe on a slightly larger scale than 10k. Yeah. So um, got got the budget together to shoot about two thirds of it. Shot two thirds of it. Went took that and Blumhouse picked that up and gave us the money to finish it. Not a lot of money about what we were working with before. Um, we finished it up 
and they went to festivals, but there was the short of it is, is there's problem. There's something called deliverables with the film. And that's like the paperwork stuff. Oh, okay. And there is, there is uh, the, the massive oversimplification here, but there's a, there is problems with the deliverables that make it Blumhouse picked it up and, and, and sold it off the shutter. It was supposed to go to shutter. Right. Um, it was supposed to go to shutter, and unfortunately, there, there are problems with the deliverables that make it unreleasable. Hmm. And I feel like the only way that movie sees the light of day is if I'm able to now, uh, hopefully, uh, purchase it maybe back myself. Yeah. Or, or something like that. But it, but it's a it's a real shame because it is it is a really deeply strange film that I think isn't what people think it is. And th- that trailer that Blumhouse put out, I-, I never liked because it made it seem like a cheap version of an expensive movie that's mm-hmm. like uh, all has all this shit going on in it. But the truth of the movie is, is like all the stuff they showed in the trailer. Like I kind of wanted that to be a surprise. I, uh, the whole plot, the whole point of Boogeyman Pop is was to make a hangout film that yeah. just ex- that exists in a horror universe, like almost as if it's magical realism. And that you, you you're watching something like River's Edge or or or, or like uh, something yes and there's just an element of like okay what what if you took Halloween and made it about the neighbors like they're never they're never central to the plot like they're not Laurie Strode they're not they're not the they're not the they're not aware of the plot of these things that are happening. They're outside of it and speaking to what I, a certain type of socioeconomic strata uh, and uh, personal things I saw. Like every, everything in Boogeyman Pop is like a true story dialed up to magical realism. Hmm. You know, so, and it's, it's, not, it's not a scary movie. It's not intended to be scary at all. I mean, there's elements that are, I think, maybe stressful or, or dark, certainly dark and lurid, but. It, it, from the title alone it's not it's not it's like I, the best way i can put it is like it's it's like slacker like the movie slacker taking place in a horror movie horror movie mm-hmm. and i i so i've always and it's got weird cool stuff in it i've got like animated butterflies and you know mm-hmm. i did the i did the cool title uh, psychedelic title sequences way before mandy did it and it's just a fucking shame that it just sitting up on a shelf somewhere because of because of paperwork crap uh it goes a little deeper than that but there's just not a lot i could say because i don't want to get sued and the the sad thing is i worked on projects that had been you know short films that had been uh essentially filmed but because of you know either legal ramifications or paperwork something like that they never got, they never moved forward, even though they shot, you know, I remember doing a short film uh, more than a few years ago at my college. It was a college short film, right? And we shot, I want to say half a day of footage and the, and the short film was like maybe even like 12 pages, right? And it wasn't really that much. It was literally just like a lot of movement, no, barely any lines. You could probably shoot the, the you know film the whole thing within the entire day but there was a lot of and 
there was a lot of stuff going on, especially with the director and one of it and one of the stars too. And yeah, it's just like uh, there is this probably, and if he ever wanted to do that, you know, if he ever wanted to release the film, he could. But there is probably this short film star in me that will never be released to the light of day because of uh, uh, internal troubles, like what you just said before. It's like you know, there, there's stuff that you can't control, especially if you're producing a movie, where it's just like, oh, you know, it's. I think it's a. I think it's a problem of naivete and operating on a on a very very micro budget level you yeah. you run so what ha- what happens when a major comes in and picks up your thing it seems like holy shit what a cool what a cool idea um but then it can cause in my case it caused some problems with with uh, entities who maybe saw money where there wasn't any money you know yeah um but uh, it's it is what it is, you know. I'll, I'll get it out there some way somehow. Yeah. Um, it's really dear to my heart. It took me three years to make. Uh, mm. I think the the central performance by James Paxton is is something that is it's incredible. It's not. It's it's he's so good in it. And all all the lead performances are really good, um, and it's just it's so uniquely its own thing that I I feel like. I, I wish he was out there so I would be, so it, it, people could understand maybe aesthetically where I come from a little bit more um, than I would say a bit, because bit isn't, I, I don't, I, I'm, a bit isn't like, bit is less, bit is less represent, uh, less a representation of, I think, my overall, what I'm trying to do here than anything I've made. And that's not a knock against it. It was I was intentionally trying something different. Yeah. To to because I'd done two things that were sort of dour, somber, gritty. I I wanted to try something a little bit uh, poppier. Um, but the way it just shook out was Boogeyman Pop hits fests while I'm shooting bit, and then Boogeyman Pop doesn't come out, but bit does, and so. Yeah. And getting people to watch my first movie is like pulling teeth. Um, so it's, you know, bit is what I'm sort of mostly known for, if known at all. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. I mean, there are worse fates, but uh, <laughs> I do, I do, I do wish that uh, it, it was out as well. And it'll just be one of those things where it'll be something I can hopefully, uh, Put out in some way in some fashion and so that the people who worked really fucking hard on it to get get their work seen i'm glad it got to go to fests it, yeah it did well at fests i'm glad people got to have some sort of victory lap regarding that because it was it was well received um uh but i uh you know that it'll it is long story it is. short it'll it'll come out someday it is what it is right now yeah uh, but yeah, uh, picking up on that, and you mentioned uh, James Patterson's, you know, Jim Patterson's name, uh, I mean, Patterson. Sorry, I have a James Patterson book right here that it's on my desk. And Jim Paxton. James just, Paxton. Yeah, James Paxton. He is the son of Bill Paxton, which I did not realize until 
I watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and in the last season, he popped up playing his father. And I'm like, who is this guy doing a dead on Bill Paxton impersonation? And I'm looking up, I'm like, James Baxter. I'm like, why did I have name, seen that name before? And I'm looking through the thing. I'm like, oh, wait, he was in bit. I'm like, oh, wow. And it's like, like you said before, he's an amazing actor. And I'm like, and I noticed also that both with Hammer and with, uh, I believe, Pop 2, the actor who played Vlad in Bit also pops up, well, and pops up in Bit. Uh, in, in terms of... Uh, that would be Greg, and he's in all my movies. He's the, oh. he's the titular character in Wolfman's Hammer. Uh, he is the Wolfman. Um, mm -hmm. He is in Boogeyman Pop, and he is Vlad in Bit. Uh, yeah, was now that we're talking about the bit, uh, talk to me about, uh, yeah, talk to me about casting was, uh, cause I remember you posting, uh, because I have like two separate things about casting. Well, three separate, uh, it's a little hard. I have my, my, my notebook here that actually has all my questions. So see. And I have, I have like, at least I have one note about casting. I have another note about Laurel's casting and then another uh, note about Vlad's casting. And it's a little hard to go, especially with my mind, because I got to like shoot out all these ideas at the same time. So I had to go about, uh, so I had to go very slowly, but casting. Uh, now casting bit, was it a fun, easy process or was it like a very, Okay, was it like I'm really looking for the best roles possible for each character that is like in this movie? Because a lot of the like the bulk of the characters are like easily cast. Like I can't really see every other character that is not like on the film played by any other character. I mean, other actor. I mean, I probably could, but it would be very hard to do that. Um, I I had written. I had written the role of Mark for James. No, nice. um, And I had written the role of Vlad for Greg. Um, other than that, uh, the casting process was, you know, we didn't have a lot of time. Um, the, the thing about Bit was uh, the, from the, I was, I was put in a position where basically the money came through and it was a go picture and there was about a month before we had to start shooting. Oh, wow. Um, and so things would have been a little bit smoother. But I, there was a, once the money hit the bank, the producers became very concerned about trying to get people with like blue checks and tons of followers. And they just really wanted to pursue um, big name TV actors for, yeah. to fill out the cast. And uh, I, we, you know, I understand what they, they want to, you know, hedge, hedge their bets, uh, making sure that it has as much pull as possible, but we didn't have the time yeah. to wait for these offers. And so I was very adamant about getting certain things. And, you know, I uh, wrote the role of Duke for an actress who I'm not going to name, they, but they couldn't do it. They, they were, they were, uh, not acting at the time for personal reasons. 
Um, and then the next choice in my head, I really wanted Diana Hopper. I uh, just knew she would be perfect for it and um, had to go through, you know, a, try a few a few bigger names and i basically said okay you get one and after that we're just going with diana otherwise i'm gonna cause a fit and uh, luckily we got her um and she was uh, incredible to work with um so the casting was everything everything about the the process of making bit was distressed uh, and no time and no prep and just me flying by the seat of my pants. And in fact, if I hadn't come from a sort of DIY world of doing so much of the overall making every little piece myself and figuring out how to how to how to water Central Park with a thimble, um, bit wouldn't have been a movie at all. I I I I pulled on every trick in the book just to make the thing work in any way. And, um, you know, because it, it really was, you know, typically you have one prep day for shoot days and you have text yeah. outs and things like that. I didn't have any of that, not a one. In fact, I didn't, uh, there was a DP I wanted and I, I didn't get, you know, it was a fight to make sure I had this certain DP and I didn't, we didn't end up even getting to hire her before about a week and a half before we started shooting. Oh. So it was, it was, it was a, a really, really difficult shoot. Yeah. Now, uh, really, again, really difficult on all. Yeah, uh, I would imagine, especially with the. It does, even though with the 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 stuff you just mentioned, when you watch the film, it doesn't really feel like it has that notion. Well, of course, you know, I'm pretty sure there was like maybe a, a lot more to what you probably have written down, especially in the script. I'm not sure how much of the script had to be like taken out because of, you know, budgetary reasons and stuff like that too, because, I mean, and the weird thing is, it's like, it, it is like a character drama again, where it's, it's like, it's not really focused on the vampire, like, lore, which I want to get into in a little while, or a little, a little bit, <laughs> I was about to say in a little bit, in a, in a few moments, where, you know, no one is going like, you know, it's not like, uh, it definitely feels like it's a very sleek and it's yeah it's a very sleek film from 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 the way you can watch but from what you just said before it doesn't feel like oh you had you know x amount of time just to do all this stuff you know if you had like a month of shoot it didn't feel like you had like a month of shoot on film it does feel like everything just happened to like roll on film like maybe you know as much as it could uh I think the I think some of the set pieces would be better if I had prep time. See, yeah. there was twenty days of shooting, right? Oh. And less than a month, and less than a month of prep. And most of that month of prep wasn't prep; it was just getting people hired. Yeah, um, it really wasn't proper prep. I, I I went on two real tech scouts, and both of those locations we ended up not getting. So. Um, the, 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 it was, it was, a, a fly by the seat of the pants, uh, shoot the whole way through. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, I'm glad it comes together, but it took a lot of hard work for it to come together. And even then 
the edit as it stands is is meddled with uh, in in my head in a way that I don't quite appreciate. I, I'd say it's about eighty five percent my cut and about fifteen percent uh, uh, not, and that's a crucial fifteen percent for me because yeah. e- even 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 in even in the positive reviews of the, the movie, the things they single out are are the things I would have addressed, and yeah. it it all it all stems from uh, I feel like it stems from uh, a mis a misunderstanding on the part of the producers of, of what make a what makes a movie work, and then a lot of a lot of motivation by fear, um, you know, uh, the the a lot of a lot of you know, dumbing things down a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah. But but as but as it stands, I mean, I'm proud of the movie. I'm, I'm happy yeah, yeah. it's out there. But uh, uh, and I'll definitely actually, and I definitely will be asking later about the 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 post production plans that you had, and uh, and I know you mentioned uh, a bit about it on Twitter, but uh, yeah, back to the casting. Uh, I love the fact that you kind of like uh, swerve us with casting MC Ganey. Yeah, MC Ganey as sort of like the main bad guy. It was like, you see that it's like, I'm what, like when you, and it's weird because I've seen the film at least twice in my second viewing and I see MC's name. I'm like, yeah, he's going to be the bad guy. And then suddenly, you know, during a film, you know, you know, he pops up in like the nightclub is like speaking to Laurel about, you know, be careful about, you know, be careful and all that stuff. Right. And then later, you know, he pops up again. Like, to show that, oh yeah, he's like a Van Helsing type of character, and he's obviously going to be the villain. And not even like a few seconds later, like he's gruesomely killed. And I'm like, oh okay. And then you kind of like notice that the real villain is Vladimir, or <laughs> who I swear, whenever I go and watch this movie, it's like I just don't want to say he is Dracula, but from your perspective, is Vladimir? Well, he's he's in, he's intended he's intended to be. Dracula. Thank you. Because I was like, but, I, but but in in the universe of Bit, the book Dracula exists. Yeah, and people know what like that's a pop cultural touchstone that exists how it does in our world. So I didn't want to call him Dracula, um, but he's very much talking about stealing from comics. I was very <laughs> taken with uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman, and one of the things he became sort of. Uh, one of the things he deployed that I thought was really interesting was taking every version of Batman, no matter how ludicrous, and saying it's one man's biography and finding a way to fit that in there. And I thought, well, I would like to take every every version of Dracula in the 20th century that I could sort of get, or with, and 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 marrying them all and saying they all they're all one man's biography. So. You know, from from Andy Warhol's version to to uh, uh, George Hamilton, you know, you know to the you know disco Dracula to, to Christopher <laughs> Lee to the all the way up and where it kind of stops for me is the Dracula two thousand new metal Dracula, you know, <laughs> and and like marrying all that together and all the different things to as one man's one man's history. Um, I just didn't call him Dracula because I thought that would run like into a thing of well I, you'd run into a problem of they'd have if, if Dracula the book exists they'd have to then address that like oh he's the real Dracula and then 
I just didn't want to do that. And I, I, I was more interested in, and I also didn't want to tie him to Vlad the Impaler, yeah. which is, which has become a thing, which is, which is not actually existent in the text of, of Bram Stoker. And it's sort of like yeah, a, yeah. a much later thing that, that Coppola deployed that sort of comes from this Vlad the Impaler uh, biography and a few offhanded comments by Stoker uh, in his, I think, journals about writing the book, but they're not, it's not, he's not, it's just that, that connection in people's heads. And I thought, I just wanted to suggest that, uh, that whatever he is or wherever he comes from, it's much older and it's different, you know? Yeah. Whenever I'm watching, even though Vlad has like, say, a limited amount of screen time. I want to say at least 15 minutes, because he has, you know, he has the big massive flashback, i.e., the Rasputin dance monologue, which I want to do actually about once you, uh, uh, in a little while, uh, especially when I get into uh, the the writing thing. Uh, it, it definitely feels like, oh, this is definitely Dracula, but you don't want to say he is Dracula, even though. You could obviously see this, like the 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 signs of him pointing to, you know, being, you know, Dracula because one, his name is Vlad, and a lot of uh, Dracula medium have always had him called Vladimir or Vlad or something that's the fact, and that's because of you know the Vlad the Impaler thing, even though it wasn't really something that was like, you know, automatically. Whenever someone's doing a Count Dracula thing, it's like, oh, they usually call him like Vlad Dracula or something like that, or, or. Yeah, like Vlad, Vlad was the only was the only like big sort of like just to make it pretty clear. He's just whether he's Dracula or not, he's a stand-in for the idea of it, and everybody knows what I'm talking about when I talk about this character or when they see yeah. it in the movie. Whether they get frustrated or not, like, why didn't you just call him Dracula? He's public domain. You know, uh, it's like you get the idea. It, yeah, his name is Vlad. He's an old ass vampire, and he and here's all these sort of quick references to things that are identifiable culturally as Dracula. Like, you know, it's not really that uh, big of a yeah. thing or huge of a leap. And then I just get made his full name feel like pompous and continental. Yeah. Um, Vlad yeah. Manfred Castaneda. Um, and sort of, sort of tying, marrying together uh, the the uh, Manfred, which is a which is a uh, poem by Lord Byron. Um, um, the sort of sort of by the the way the 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 sort of juvenile males, the sort of attraction to Byronic heroes, and the way Vlad sees himself, and so uh, and then Castaneda, Juan Carlos Castaneda, the the ayahuasca guy who said he was a said he was a he met a shaman and that just all that sort of like bullshit um like ro romantic romantic uh male stuff i just wanted yeah. to kind of make fun of and and just mock a little bit uh it was very important to me to make this movie and make sure that all the like from from a certain perspective um I think men are pretty ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I mean, from a certain perspective, people can be pretty ridiculous, but men men are funny, and yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that all the all all the all the men in this movie are somewhat funny. Like they're yeah. they're somewhat being, being poked fun at, um, even when they're dangerous. Yeah, like Vlad. Uh, and 
Yeah, I just wanted to ask as like, is Vlad really Dracula? And I do have my answer. It's like, yes, he is Dracula, but we're not saying he's, he's not. He's not Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, we're not saying he is, but it, I, I will say that he's, he is not Vlad the Impaler. He is Vlad Manfred Castaneda. I do know who he is in in sort of a historic context, but that's between. I mean, if you if you if you dig around, you can find it. I'm, I've said it on Twitter once, but like it's sort of like a. There, there is somebody that I'm like. This is my origin for the character, and uh, I, you know, and people can make up their own. But I say explicitly, he's not, he is not uh, Vlad Shepes, whatever his name was. Yeah, uh, but yes, back to casting and the biggest casting. Oh, and by the way, I wrote the role uh, for MC Ganey. He was in Boogeyman Pop as well. He's a friend. I love oh. that guy. I'm a big fan of his. He did Boogeyman Pop as a favor, and he's really great in it. And I wrote this role for him to just come and have some fun and chew some scenery. And he did not disappoint. Yeah. I, 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 I would work with that guy to the end of time. Just a and really, just a really special dude. And he actually did work with uh, James's father, Bill Paxton, on a movie called Club Dredge, playing uh, essentially his roadie's uh, right hand. And yeah. If you ever watched Club Dread, it's an amazing, hilarious film, and not only I've seen it, yeah, and and Bill's incredible. Yeah, he is incredible in that movie because he it's like the same thing with uh, Vlad. He's not really playing uh, Jimmy Buffett, but he's basically playing a character like Jimmy Buffett with this same exact like it's, kind of like man, mannerisms and songs. The, and, the term is the term is analogous. He's analogous yeah, to no. people know what it is in the yeah. same in the same way that. You know that's that's a, yeah it's pretty clear but yeah it's a great it's a great role uh but yeah uh back to casting before we go into writing although this kind of like goes right into writing the you posted on i believe on your instagram of a, of the script that says laurel must be played by a trans actress because something i can't remember because i tried getting trying to remember what you wrote per se but the character is transitioning on her own, so we must have a, an actress who is like, you know, who is like that. That How? is not. Oh. That is that is not what uh, I, the What I wrote was, and yeah, it's easy yeah, to find on my Instagram and on my Twitter. What I wrote was in the script to make it very clear that the character of Laurel is to be played by a trans actress and trans actress alone. Yeah. And that the, the script is not going to specify where on in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, where in the stage of transition this character is at, because it should be an open dialogue with whomever we cast so that yeah. we're not boxing ourselves into something like that so that we can open it up to make sure we get somebody uh, so that we are, uh, it had it had to be an open dialogue. I, there was yeah. no, the, the, I, there was no specification of where it was supposed to be. In fact, it was the opposite of that. It was there is no specification here. This that will be an element that will be a part of the collaboration between me and whoever gets the role. Yeah, um, and that's something I do enjoy about the movie is that even though. You know, even though it's kind of like in the the plot description or synopsis, what have you, 
the fact that you don't mention that the character of Nicole is tr transgender at all until make maybe at the end where Vladimir looks at her and because you know you know Vla if, Vladimir looks at her goes you know looks at Duke and says and goes this is this is new and interesting for you or something to that along the lines like that when you were it's it, it, it it's it's him being just an asshole um, yeah the 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 the, the movie's full of what I feel are um, keys to that. Yeah. That if 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 it's if it's something you pick up on, you pick up on it, but it's not central to the plot. No. Yeah, which is I really enjoyed because Laurel is a great character. Because it's 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 straight up the gate. There's no there's no hiding it. Uh, the 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 it's not a character neutral quality. It is not. She's not just arbitrarily trans though either it is not about uh, the trans experience but it is not i would never want to write any character where they're just arbitrarily anything because nobody's arbitrarily anything everybody's world is going to be different or interact with them differently based upon their religiosity or their uh, their fashion their all sorts of uh things yeah um, their background and whatnot um so it, it's it's there from the jump. The, 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 basically, we first get to see Laurel. She's being patronized by somebody, um, yeah. and and that and nobody. It's not really. It's just is what it is. I just felt like that's the the point of that scene is not to show a trans person getting patronized. It's to uh, do what any scene where you're meeting characters is. It's just sort of to to get you into their world and on their side and, and understand their sort of likes and dislikes and things like that. Yeah. Um, but um, there's, there's not, there's not too much I, I want to go into about this particular subject because one, I've gone into it a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and two, it's just the, the, the uh, um, there's, there's a lot more going on that, that I can, can talk about besides that that element you know now i i do want to ask is like how much and you did mention before that whoever was cast as lowell would have a lot of uh, what was it a uh, input to say the least when and and this was like before supergirl so you know, i don't know and I only knew that Nicole had like maybe a couple of credits to her name and most of like a documentary, that sort of thing too. How did the casting of uh, Laurel like drop into her lap or her script? Well, we, we had the breakdown. It was sent to, it was sent to the, it was sent to agencies and I looked at people and um, immediately responded to uh, her. Um, uh, she had had one. Her reel was uh, the only credit she'd had, and it was on her reel was this segment in Royal Pains. Yeah, and um, I watched that. And I, coming from a background of working with predominantly non-actors, I don't. I I feel like I can look at people and and know what they're sort of what they can do. I run yeah. off of instinct more than anything in that regard. Um, I, I, I feel like I understand 
the, the language of acting to a certain degree. I, uh, and I feel like I can work with young people pretty well. And I responded to her immediately. Um, and even in that one minute, there's, it was just very clear to me, like this, this feels right. I would like to talk to this person. And when I talked to them, I, we hit it off really well. And I just knew it, would, it had to be her. Um, and also a big, a big factor for me was, um, two things like, you know, I, I, I just feel like you can, Nicole just reads to me as such a, a presence, and yeah. especially on camera. And also I was, it was important to me that they read as somebody who believably is graduating high school. Yeah. Um, the young, young, uh, young enough so that people could because because that's always sort of a thing in 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 movies you know it's like 27 year olds playing 17 year olds and stuff yeah. like that and i always i want to avoid that as best i can um and i'd written the role of mark for james because he's you know you just as a director you write for the people you like working with yeah and i i felt like uh, there was a convincing enough um age gap between them to, to make that relationship look look real to me um and uh that was that was a big factor and that it, it was as simple as that i talked to her hit it off she sent in an audition tape i coached her through the audition tape so that the producers would feel comfortable you know i made sure i saw it first and it was like it was, it was a no-brainer to me uh, like this yeah. is this is who i want and, um, there, there was a lot of, there, not a lot, actually, frankly, it was a, uh, unfortunately a dearth of, of signed and managed, um, trans actresses, uh, at the time. And I'm not saying that there was a dearth of actresses. I mean, ones that had, I, I, we did not have the time to do an open casting call. Yeah. So it had to go through agencies because just, there's no way I could have been sifting through so many it had to be whittled down to some degree so but i did see some people who were great and um and it just you just know what you running off the of instinct that like, just felt like she was she was perfect for it um, yeah and and i i i like i'm very i'm very glad i i think she's incredible yeah and especially when you have like a small time frame and and not a like, tiny time frame, yeah. Yeah, a very small time frame. A minute time frame, and you have to deal with okay, I gotta get at least casting done within by maybe the end of the week, if not sooner. And when you feel like when you find the actress, actor, crew member, what have you, and you're like, okay, this is the person I want because they get it. So the moment you see that they get that, you know, whatever what whatever they get from the script especially if they talk about the character and like they automatically know what they're talking about about that character like okay yeah they get this you know not only they get the character but they get the story they get the uh, the themes that sort of thing too uh and speaking of story uh i know from interviews that you did you kind of like said that when writing the film you kind of like had this gem and the holocron uh holograms type of feel for it when you were writing the thing did you have that like notion of 
that movie, I mean, that movie, that sort of like structure in general, because when uh, I'd I, never, I've, to be clear, I've never seen that movie. I'm talking about the old show. Yeah, I'm not, I know I'm talking about the old show. Yeah. Well, like, I'm not I, talking I, about I, a very, yeah, if, I, if I was talking about the movie, I would I was, say that movie called Jim, that's supposed to be about Jim the holograms. <laughs> no offense I, to that, but you know. I just, uh, I had glommed on to certain things. Again, like that, I felt like that was a, I'd made two very sort of musky male, even though the central central character of the middle section of Boogeyman Pop is broken into pieces is focuses on teenage girls. I enjoyed that, making that piece a lot. And I wanted to center a movie around like, like, yeah, young like i wanted to make a movie that centered on women and and um and i just kind of keyed into all the sort of like um i don't know just kind of like fun having i mean less to do with even the it being women but just like a a, a, a just a, a glam um sort of thing like something that was just different and 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 uh that that spoke to a, a host of influences i have that aren't that weren't present as much in my first two movies you know like uh, another big influence would be um uh you know the wicked and the divine you know um uh, karen gillen and jim mckelvey's comic um and so many other things but jim and the holograms uh, was was I mean, I didn't go back and watch any episodes. I haven't seen any show since I was yeah. probably six years old. It's just that that idea of the like, and then like it was the riot girl power thing, and because uh, you know I'm just as influenced and bitted by the Ninja Turtles. It was just yeah, like I wanted to make something fun. Like I mean, that's I guess the the big the big push there. I just I wanted to make something fun. I wanted to see if I could make something hard R and lurid, but still have it. Uh, I forgive me for gendering it, but I mean this in, in sort of broad sweeping terms. It's something hard R and lurid, but still coded for younger young women. Like, because yeah, gotcha. uh, I, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of movies a- aimed at young women t- typically tend to to be afraid to be messy or gross. And yeah. I thought I think that's a sort of mistake because I know you know movies like Ginger Snaps and The Craft are so beloved. And they're full of messy, gross things. And I, I just thought, well, I would like to contribute to that. And um, dealing with very mature themes too. So it's like a lot of these movies nowadays, especially, and I'm not like frowning upon the movies nowadays, but there are like horror movies that deal with, you know, that are like that, but they don't really, like maybe- I don't, like the last- I don't even really consider Bit a horror movie. Yeah, uh, it is a horror movie. It's in the horror genre, but it's not scary. It's it's more of a yeah. comedy. It's 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 more of just a, a, a I don't know. I it's just sort of it, it's as much of a scary movie as something like Lost Boys is, which is another template. Yeah. I mean, an obvious template. Yeah, um, it's not like a movie that it's meant to be fun. I guess is yeah. the, it's more meant to be fun than it is intended to be scary, because it's not scary at all. Um, and so it, the, the, the dominating approach was how do you make a hard R, uh, a hard R fun sort of take on, on things uh, 
like the gem and the hologram and or in the tradition of ginger snaps or the craft you know the lost boys and stuff like that too where it's just like and yeah and that was another thing is a lot of movies like the lost boys and a lot of vampire movies in general have a lot of uh queer subtext yeah and i was i was like well let's let's take the subtext right out of it and instead of being stand in for things like that people don't need stand-ins or subtext anymore they exist in the world you know it's just i just thought well, we're just gonna do that we're take yeah. we'll just make it text the queer elements that are usually present in vampire stuff and there's been a lot of oh, oh like textually queer vampire media as well but yeah. a lot of it is subtextual and just making it directly text now, yeah uh and speaking of the vampire stuff uh one of the great things about writing a vampire story is that you you could essentially create your own lore and you know you don't have any set rules to go with because you know they could be like oh you know vampires could be existing in the daylight but you know they could be generally weaker because sunlight you know they don't you know sunlight doesn't kill them but sunlight just weakens them something like that when you were writing this film like how much lore did you have fun with and how much lore did you kind of like stick to okay is this kind of like the same vampires that you see you know they drink blood? i think the only hard and hard and fast rule is like in some way they've got to drain blood or the life essence i think is the only thing that needs to be there everything else is up in the air because a lot of the elements that are codified that people think are directly lore come in the come in the 20th century in particular the movies yeah. um but i've had a like the idea of sunlight like dracula doesn't get killed by sunlight in the, in the book yeah. um that's not even there and if you go back further like that some of these ideas are introduced later and it's just you can do whatever you want i mean uh, it's not a for me i just wanted to i wanted to give the vampire element uh even though the movie was going to be as today as possible in some regards like in so much as like the verbiage the world and the what's going on in it like uh, the feel of it it's very modern you know I, I drew from a lot of the sort of modern LA bands that are around and put them in the soundtrack and things like that I I, I you know but I wanted the vampire part of it to be folkloric and fairy tale more rooted in fairy tale than than let's say the last 40 years of the movies of vampires by yeah. that i mean uh folkloric element in so much as you know they you can't really see it it's not really noticeable but their fangs and their and their and their nails are crystals you know it, it feels like a fairy tale element to me you know like if you look they have like that sort of uh there's there's they're styled like crystals if you if you if you look under a if you, if you look closely, like the, there's the edges, uh, the center's opaque, but the edges are start to get clear and there's like the veins. Oh, wow. And then like how crystals have, and same thing with their nails. And um, same thing with their sort of power. There's like a Peter Pan element to it all. Like I wanted it to be more, you know, like the sun can't kill them. And another sort of folkloric element is fire kills them. It's a very, fire is a very primeval thing, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and so fire, fire being anybody's weakness, but especially theirs, like they touch it and they, it doesn't just burn them. It turns them to wood again, not an element that's explained, but if you've noticed, like they turn, they, they become ash and wood. Um, yeah. and I just thought that would be an interesting way to go with that is that they, they, it's, it affects them magically. They, these aren't, these aren't science vampires. These aren't, um, Judeo-Christian vampires. Excuse me. Sorry, car just drove by. No, no these aren't these aren't rooted in a, a Judean Christian uh, Judeo Christian sort of mythology. They're, they're it's kind of like older than that, and, and sort of more fairy tale logic than that. Yeah, you know? which you do get the sense of because it doesn't feel like it's like like the vampires you've seen for the past, like say, forty years or sixty years, given what cinematic vampires have done. But it feels like more along the lines of fairy tale, but more like the myth type of uh, vampires, where it doesn't feel like they they are blood sucking, you know, life essence and drinking sort of thing too. And they are monsters, but at the same time, they also feel like, especially, you know, they all the vampires you see in this movie do feel like they actually. Could exist, but also they also they also feel like they just feel human, even though they have this uh, animalistic side to them. And you kind of mentioned this before, uh, L.A. Uh, I I like the fact that you give L.A. almost its own character, because out and and shooting in L.A., especially at night, it feels like it's like almost dreamlike compared to some areas in LA or something like that and granted I don't live in LA I live in you know New York City and shooting in New York City at night gives much more of a very noir feeling but from what I saw especially with you filming at night in in uh, LA it does have like a very dreamlike quality uh, from your in filming with LA, and you mentioned this before, is like you, you know, um, you were kind of like pulling from like real life stuff that you did. Uh, like, how much stuff that you see in LA, like, like, I, this again, as I'm trying to, like, I have two questions trying to come out at the same time, even though I'm trying to form into one question. Uh, how much of LA type of like when you were considering the LA scene, even though the LA scene around that time it was like maybe a few years ago, so I I doubt it hasn't changed that much. When you were filming in the in LA, like how much of the LA scene were you considering to be shown into its full effect? Because James's character, you know, I believe he's playing an actor because he mentions what. Well, he mentions to Laurel later, it's like, you haven't even asked me about my auditions or something like that since you came here. So, like, how much yeah. of the LA scene was a factor going into this movie that happens to be set in LA? I mean, it was as much as any place. I, I, I tried to make it grounded within the, in the place it exists. I, I wish I could have uh, grounded it a little more, but again, budgetarily, I mean, essentially the movie shot in one location, 
And yeah. I, I'm happy that that doesn't seem to be the case where people notice that, but they're, they're outside of them going to the echo and a couple other shots, it is a bunch of faking it. It is all essentially uh, shot warehouse in a warehouse in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wanted, I just rooted it in the, in the place, even down to the warehouse itself. I had written a, a very specific sort of ideas and locations of what you'd find in Los Angeles. I, I don't, I myself feel like it doesn't quite capture Los Angeles was how I wanted it to, but instead it, uh, you know, you, you do what you can. And I, I, with the budget and the time, it, it reads a little, the whole movie has a, a, a patina of, of artifice, which was not in the script. The script was going to be a little bit more distressed and lived in. But with the time and the budget we had, I realized that this is, I have the budget of about a CW episode of TV. Yeah. And so, well, I'll make it CW, but the type of stuff they'd never put in CW. So I leaned <laughs> into art. I leaned into artifice. I, I made the, 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 the designs of the, the vampire uh, wardrobes less, less um, distinctly punk or really lived in or, um, and made them more iconic and simple and everything's more, um, uh, uh, again, it, it's, it's much more pop. It, it has a, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not as, uh, it's not as lived in as they initially conceived. Everything's very much, uh, I had to run the other direction and embrace artifice in, in a way that I'd never done before to, to, to get that, to get, to get it to work as a whole. Um, but, uh, you know, I, in writing the script, I mean, it's based in LA and I've, I, w I would not, I, I didn't put too much, it's not that I didn't put too much thought into that. It's just that it just is what it is. You know, you just yeah. observe and you just observe and report. You know, yeah. The echoes a real place. The geography is here. The 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 the, the makeup of of the people around. It. It's like it, it's as best represented as I as I can do or think about. And since you just mentioned makeup, I do have two questions I would laugh about the about bit itself. And the two questions, the last two questions I have, involved the special effects. Uh, so. In, and it's weird because when you're watching this film, it isn't really blood. I mean, there is a lot. I mean, there is blood. There is a lot of blood, but isn't it isn't really blood heavy? You know, there is like special effects. There is like people's throats being cut or people's you know throats being bit into. Hence the title. And but but when you see the vampires, you know they're not like stereotypically pale you know they have they actually have like skin color and stuff like that too when it came to the special effects and considering the amount of time you had uh where and when did you just say uh how was working with the special effects with the yeah there we go how was it working with special effects with the amount of time that you had because there are a couple of flying shots and the flying shots, you know, it does look like oh, it looks like they're on like kind of like on a green screen or something to that effect. Yeah, they're not. They're not on a green screen. They are on wires. It was a nightmare. There's just not enough oh. time for any of it. Uh, I actually wanted to cut that flying scene because 
Um, that was the, we were supposed to have two cranes. We ended up having one. There's no time to even rehearse that. Like, again, there was no prep. There was no, let's, let's get the actors used to the harnesses. It was like, I had to do all this roof stop, rooftop stuff with one crane at night. And so I don't think that came across very effective. I wanted it out of the movie. The producers kept it in. Um, it is not one of my favorite things. Um, but uh, the, the, the special effects and the makeup effects people did a great job. Nobody had a lot of time. Um, I pushed as hard as I could to keep practicals in. And I think the practical stuff that remains in is really good. Um, And uh, I, but you know, there were some things where it's just, it, it just wasn't possible to keep practical do, do, do to mainly the time, but, I am proud of the fact that basically every everything outside of the fangs and the nails is practical. Yeah, like the head stomp, the the throat slash, the 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 blood. There's no there's no VFX blood in it. You know, um, the 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 heart is a VFX element as well, um, mixed with a practical. And but I put as much as I could. And you're, it's always going to be an uphill fight to get and keep practical stuff um, because VFX is, is, is ostensibly cheaper. I, I don't quite agree with that, but that's sort of a different conversation. Um, and the VFX department did a great job too. They were really friendly and I loved working with them. Um, and they, you know, considering our budget and time, they, yeah. they went above and beyond and did really cool shit, I, I feel like. Um, like the burning effects looks amazing compared to you know the, like other burning effects you were seeing like in other stuff because it actually does feel like when some like a vampire or a person is being burned it actually feels like they're actually you know it actually yeah. feels like yeah they really did a good job with that and a lot of it too is having actual flame elements there like we did light people on fire and do that kind of stuff and then it was enhanced in VFX but um the the they just did a good job. I, I mean, it's sort of like a uh, most of the things that happen to the body are practical in the film. Any of the stuff that veers into magic, it, it starts to go into into VFX. Yeah. Uh, so with my last, question. but they were but they were really great to work with. I it was I, again. I wish I had more time. Also because that's so much fun to do just in general. Yeah. It's it's fun to squirt blood and slash throats and get all that stuff going and and vomit and I I love doing that kind of stuff and the and the people I was working with um, uh, Gage and uh, 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 Marcel um, who were who were the uh, practical effects um, makeup effects people they were fucking awesome and gung ho and they they really just given the time and resources just brought it and 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 i i loved working with them and i i think we'd all agree that like everybody did the best they could with the time they had and that we yeah. all kind of wish we had more time and more like we didn't even get to like try a thing out like you know you see like you watch the making ofs of a lot of the movies that, that involve practical effects and monster and creature effects and you see them do like the videotape tests and stuff like that to yeah. see how it works we didn't have none of that shit it was just go go go, and um, uh, considering, uh, I think it came out pretty pretty decent. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and I, I, uh, if, and, um, and they crushed it, you know, the department heads in the movie crushed it. And, and the, the only real problem with the execution falls on e either me or time or sort of, you know, fights with producers, um, taking up time. Yeah, uh, the way you just phrased it just now, it's like I'm having flashbacks to my time in theater where, where we would have, like legitimately, there'd be a, a sometimes my theater department would have uh, shows like in between months, so it'd like, oh, be a show in February, and then there'd be a show in like April. But in that long meantime, the the show in February, you know, after it ends, we go straight into the next uh, theater production, and we would only have like maybe in a month, like, a month and a half, maybe even just a month or so, depending if there wasn't like any major holiday or something like that, to go in, create the, you know, create the, the set design, and then work on that set design. And then suddenly it's like, oh, by the way, the set design changed. So we have to move a couple more things. So it definitely feels like uh, that that rush of, we just gotta do, we just gotta work with it and just go. If it works, it works. Hopefully, it works, and when it, and a lot of it in the film works spectacular because a lot of the gore effects really does look well made, but also reasonably realistic, especially the head stomp. You know, I don't see a lot of head stomps in film outside, of like maybe the recent Halloween movie. And whenever there's a head stomp, people don't like. Oh, they kind of like make it look like a fake head stomp. This actually looks like an actual head stomp that you know. Yeah. Once yeah. you see it, like if you pause it just right and you just okay, that's a dummy, obviously. But the way it's filmed and framed, it's like it's you know, props to your yeah. practical, you know, effects and stuff like that. It's like it especially with the, the tiny time frame you all had too. Uh yeah, uh especially and and on my last question about bit, I know you kind of like mentioned this before on either I forgot. It was either on Twitter or maybe Instagram. It was probably Twitter. But I remember you po uh, saying something along the lines of uh, the release was screwed around because of COVID. Because I remember you saying that there was supposed to be the major release, like the premiere was supposed to be at the Chinese theater in Highwood. And uh, it, it was, it played the Chinese for, for fests. Oh, okay. No, I, I, before you go off on a long thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> I make it pretty simple. It, a lot of this happened to a lot of movies during pandemic, which was the their theatrical release, even a limited theatrical, which is still good. Like you, yeah. you want the movie to come out in theaters. We had a, a, a limited theatrical release that was planned through the distributor, and once COVID hit and theaters shut down, it was just dumped onto VOD. You know, yeah. And that happened to a lot of a lot of things uh, during this during that time. And it was just, it was just a shame. I mean, there's not too much to say about that. That's just what happened. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of like, and having a limited, limited uh, release is even still spectacular too, because it's, that's how independent movies are. And yeah. It would have been in, in 10 major cities and yeah. I would have, and it could have, who knows how that would have done. I, I, uh, I, we consistently in festivals sold out shows and packed the house at major international festivals and and did really well. 
I feel like in certain markets, it would have done really well and, you know, not been some box office gargantuan hit, but yeah. just as a filmmaker, who you just want your movie in the, in the fucking theater in general. It was yeah. a real drag to have worked, you know, so basically awesome. my entire life to get to this point where something was getting a theatrical release and then for uh, elements outside anybody's control that, that being taken away. And then it was the only option was, well, I mean, this, this was always going to be about rentals anyway. And the yeah. theatrical release was sort of a loss leader. And depending on how it did, that was just, it was still just basically still promotion for the rentals, I guess, in some way, how lots of movies are. Um, but it just went straight to that. And I just, uh, you know, sucks. Um, that's a, that's a drag. Yeah. Uh, but at least you could watch the film on Tubi uh, as currently, uh, currently as I filmed this episode, it's still, it's still on Tubi. I hope it'd be on Tubi forever. And Tubi is a great service because you, get to see a lot of great independent movies and just movies in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy anyway somebody watches it. I'd prefer they rent it because that way it makes money. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it's whatever, you know, it's, it's beyond my control and I'd rather, any, any way somebody watches is fine. Now, uh, do you consider getting a, I don't know if this probably still is the same question, but I mean, the same answer before, but trying to get this, uh, I remember you saying that you couldn't get this movie out for like a proper DVD Blu-ray release because it, like, because of, yeah. Well, it, listen, man, I, I don't want to get into that kind of stuff. That's, that's, okay. that's between me, that's, that's distribution stuff and because yeah, of right. politics and things like that. It's just, and also it's kind of just boring shit. So yeah. <laughs> uh, if there's ever, uh, uh, I would love for there, for there to be, you know, uh, licensed, proper, full-on DVD release and Blu-ray release and all that jazz and all that fun stuff. Um, you know, that would be great. But a as it stands right now, it's just not not where we're at. And uh, uh, I don't, I have zero control over things like that. Okay. All right. Uh, and that's it of all my questions I have a bit, which seem a lot because that's, you know, sadly, you know, even though I asked you about Wolfman's Hammer, but I understand, like, Wolfman's Hammer was your first film. Oh, uh, okay, that actually is a good question. Uh, from what, and you kind of, like, mentioned this before, is, like, from the first two movies you did to where you are now, uh, how much stuff going forward are you going to say, I know that's going to be a bad idea, I'm not going to do it, but, like, how much are you, uh, you know, are you still learning as a director or do you feel like even as a director, you can never stop learning? I think you're always learning, but uh, I would like, I think the, the, the thing I would like to get um, to happen and the thing I'm sort of striving for since, again, my first movie, even though I conceived of Wolfman's Hammer to be a 10K film and maximize what you can do with 10K, Okay, and 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 utilize you know what's in the frame to get people to believe that that you're in locations and places that aren't there and stuff and people it's amazing how much you can fool people if you know what you're doing uh what i'd like to do though is get to a point where it's uh, i have a robust enough you're, you're there's always going to be problems there's always going to be things that are that are 
you know, light and time is always going to be a, a, a battle of some, of some kind. But if I could make the split a little bit more even on the side of just being, being able to execute as opposed to always being having to always having to problem solve, I would like yeah. to get to a point where most of it is based around what I want to execute and not how the fuck do I get this with what I have, if that makes yeah. any sense. No, it definitely does make sense because I think even as I try to write a screenplay or stuff like that, I'm always learning new tips and tricks just to write a screenplay and not make it more like a formulaic screenplay or stuff like that. And that's not, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just that, you know, every story that you have to do have to make, you know, at least make it interesting enough to be like, oh, that, that hasn't been something that, that hasn't been done before, even though it has been done before. What you're doing is just making uh putting a new lease on a old idea essentially uh so yeah that's all my questions i had for a bit uh, i do have three more easy questions that's fairly straightforward uh the first question uh you kind of already made the note you, you already mentioned it on twitter that you've written a script that is a throwback to like the the race, uh, not car racing. Uh, yeah, the uh, car racing films of the 1970s. Uh, no, uh, road movie. Yeah, road movie. There we go. Okay. I, 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 it's something that you know might go through, it might not. It's not. It's, it's just a. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot I could say. Um, but it might be my next thing. It might not. You never know how these things work. Yeah, but. Um, if it is your next thing, uh, if it is your next project, could you, even if it's not your next project, could you mention, I mean, not uh, elaborate more about it, even though it's not like trying to spoil a lot? Um, I guess all, all, all I could say is that it's uh, in, very much in the vein of things like Tulane Blacktop and Easy Rider. And um, the, which is my favorite film genre is the sort of late 60s, early to mid 70s sort of counterculture uh, road movie um, that is just going to use that as a, as, a, as a template for whatever uh, creative fetishes I have. I mean, there's not, there's not a whole lot I really want to say about it. Um, uh quite yet yeah now aside from twitter and instagram uh do you have any other social medias that you use regularly no so it's just mostly just twitter and instagram which you can it's follow it's it's only twitter and instagram yeah. uh and I, us and what and this is a i don't know this is a good question i don't know if you have the answer but to those who are still watching, especially if they are emerging director, uh, what type of advice could you give to a person who is struggling or thinking about directing for the first time? Um, well, it, I'd say, you know, just finish the damn thing. Uh, the, what's There's all sorts of, demarcations of quality or whatever just whatever uh, I, I could be here all day describing you know what you should learn with lenses and how you should understand your resources and 
all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, is, is most people don't finish what they start. And the, the quality is one thing, but the big demarcation between professional and unprofessional, the, the one thing, rich parents aside, if you've got that, you're lucky and go fuck yourself. But, <laughs> but like, but like when it comes to that kind of thing, the one, one of the elements that's sort of unifying between anybody who makes it anywhere professionally. And I think in the arts and anyway, is that they f- finish it. Like uh, finishing is key like, get it done. Yeah, no matter what it takes, get it across the finish line. Showing that you can close a loop on something will get you further ahead than um, than just spinning your wheels or or constantly conceptualizing or getting in your way. Just if you're if you're a screenwriter, finish the fucking script. Like you 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 could have the worst script in the world, and if the right person reads it, it could change your life. You could have the best script in the world, and the wrong people always read it. Nobody, it never goes anywhere. The, yeah. the point is though, if you don't have a finished script, none of that happens. And it's the same thing with, if you want to go direct or you're doing it at an indie, indie, indie level or, or a micro budget level, you know, I made my first movie on an, uh, uh, and even at the time, uh, outmoded camera, uh, uh, uh was a, the director of photography was, is really good. And I love working with him um but it was a it was a dslr it was a t2i rebel t2i and then boogeyman pop was shot on a c300 you know don't be ashamed of your tools and don't don't take your don't take the tools and try to fool people that they're not those tools find the language of the tool you're using and how to maximize that i think and that would be what i would say Uh, that's a great answer because uh a lot of my directors or filmmakers in general, at least guest-wise, they had different answers. And I don't think a lot of them have told me or anyone else to finish the damn thing. And I think if you are trying to finish something, at least try and finish it. You know, at least could, you know, it may be like what you just said before. It may be like the most horrible, it may be horrible just to read, but someone who might look at it goes, this is this is interesting. I could do, I could use this and then they could go from there. All right. Uh, Brad, thank you for being a great guest on the uh, podcast. Uh, to those who are still watching, listening, thank you for watching and listening and make, and listen to me ramble sometimes. Uh, I hope you have a pleasant day, night, evening, whenever you listen to this and thank you and uh, please stay safe and be well. <laughs>